Welcome back to the program. Yesterday I began by reading a scripture. I'm going to do the same thing again today. I'm going to read from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves an earthly treasure. Moths and rust corrode. Thieves break in and steal. Make it your practice instead to store up heavenly treasure, which neither moths nor rust corrode, nor thieves break in and steal. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. No man can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be attentive to one and despise the other. You cannot give yourself to God and money. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight in Jesus' holy name. I thank you for the gift of a relationship with your Son. I thank you for the ways that you take care of us, watch over us, and bless us. Lord, I ask that you would give us the grace today to place you as the treasure in our heart, that we would pursue you first of all and most of all. Help us, Lord. It's not easy to do that. We get distracted easily and we get diverted. And so easy to make things of this earth our principal focus. Thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you give to us day to day that encourage us to keep pressing forward in faith. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know, you um, you have plans and dreams for your kids. There are things that you want for your own life. And um, I know that Carrie and I have been focused quite a bit on like helping our daughter get launched into college, our third child, to leave the house. And um, we're already now focused on the fourth child. And part of our desire for her would be to follow after her sister to Franciscan University. We think it would be a good fit for her. We think that in particular because her personality is of a type where um, she would benefit from the rich way that uh, Catholics, uh, students at Steubenville, focus on the personal relationship with Jesus. Many of them have experienced it through the homes they were brought up in, through the charismatic renewal, um, through, you know, intentional living a life of faith, but maybe not always focused on what's called head knowledge, not always focused on uh, being the most rigorous regarding um, uh, studies and and, and all of that. And, and I'm not saying that folks like that aren't drawn to Franciscan University. That's not my point. <laughs> my point is that my own daughter um, tends to, this particular one, is very strong intellectually. And it's easy to, to kind of stay in your area of gifting and, and to stay with what works, right? It's like if this is what leads me to success and applause and, and um, uh, uh, being able to be approved and celebrated, well, then let me just stay in that realm. But what we want for each of our kids is this relationship with God. What I was talking about yesterday, right? Knowing God as God, not just as a concept that floats around the periphery of our lives that impacts and shapes and molds how we think and how we behave, but rather having a sensitivity to the presence of God. And the presence of God isn't just a kind of misty, like a, a mist like from a um, sprinkler that is a misty sprinkler and you kind of walk through and, and you get refreshed by the mist that washes over you. Uh, no, that's that's not what I mean by the presence of God. Uh, I mean the presence of God like in the burning bush that at a great distance magnetically drew uh, Moses to him and from which the voice of God was heard. And, and if you could only think about your own life Think about your own life is, what if you were a burning bush? What if you were to become a burning bush? But the, the bush was burning, uh, if you look at the, the words in Hebrew, I don't know Hebrew, but this is what I was taught 
and it's really cool, is that the glory of God, the Shekinah or Shekinah in, in Hebrew, means the glory of God was radiant, was like a, a, a burning furnace of brightness, was radiant, uh, radiating from this bush that was consumed without being destroyed. So you, you like the, I like that word consumed. Right? Our God is a consuming fire, right? The letter to the Hebrews, uh, that uh, when Moses went up the mountain, the dark clouds were obscuring this fire, the fire of God, right? This heat, this light, this intensity, this, this immensity of God. And um, when you think about those great saints who have become immersed in God, or God has filled them to overflowing, especially with the gift of the Spirit, it's that image of fire that is so apparent. Obviously, think immediately of Pentecost, Pentecost fire, right? Fire rested on the heads of each of the apostles, but then of great saints and the stories of the Holy Spirit as fire in them. Of course, St. Philip Neri, um, the ball of fire that entered into his heart and filled him to overflowing. I, I love the story of St. Seraphim of Saroff. I'm not going to tell it today, but again, it's another story of fire. The Holy Spirit is fire within. So imagine your life being a life set on fire, right, with God. That God's Holy Spirit, as this consuming fire was so alive in us, that we were consumed with the presence of God. Consumed by the presence of God. And that what radiated from our lives was God's holy presence. And you might say, oh, that's just not possible for me. That's not a reality for me. If you're baptized, it is your reality. That's why you're called Christian. Christian means anointed one. And if you read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, some powerful passages in that catechism that are not novelties, but beautiful gatherings up, gathering up of the fragments of our tradition in the best sense, um, that you are an anointed one, that your whole being is, is anointed by the Spirit. And that anointing is this sense of empowered, right? You've been elevated to a whole new reality as God's child. You're not just a creature of God anymore that has come from nothing. You've been immersed, baptized, baptized into the very life of God through Jesus. You become a son and daughter of God. That's your deepest reality. That's your truest identity. That's your highest elevated supernatural identity and purpose, vision and mission, your destiny is this reality that you have been beyond all imagining called to be this child of God. Christians in the scriptures in the New Testament are called saints. John Mark asked me, Dad, why don't we have Old Testament saints? And that is a tradition as well, but for the most part, the emphasis is on the New Testament. Why? Because they're the baptized ones. They're the ones who are baptized. And that means they've been immersed into Jesus Christ. They have been elevated into the status of being children of God. God's Holy Spirit Spirit lives in them, and the Holy Spirit drives them forward in life. And so that reality, that reality of letting the divinity of, the, of this status that is ours as children of God become so manifest that it becomes predominant. It becomes uh, palpable. It becomes something that... Uh, it's, it creates an atmosphere. It creates an atmosphere of holiness, of divine presence. And that's a weightiness. There's a weightiness to divine presence. And so when I say that, that I, that's what I want for my kids. I want them to, to encounter and to live and to be a visible uh, instrument, portal, place of manifestation of God's holy presence, like the burning bush. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for them. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. God, make me a burning bush today, that your presence would radiate 
the glory of God. Remember yesterday, these attributes of God that become more apparent as we welcome God into the center of our being. The uh, ineffability of God. God becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and, and we can't even bring to speech the reality of God who is here with us. He is the living God. Uh, he becomes glorious. That's the divine beauty of God. We just long to be totally pursuant of God and the immensity of this almighty power of God that upholds all things becomes our, our rock, the foundation of our life. And so, uh, so today going beyond that, when we, when we move forward in our life of faith, what are the biggest obstacles? What are the biggest challenges? And, um, the biggest things that, that can hold us back. Well, I think Jesus really hit one on the head, you know, hits the nail on the head. Isn't that nice of me to say that? <laughs> I think Jesus identifies one of the realities that makes it so difficult for us to make God our focus, and that's earthly treasure. That you cannot give yourself to God and money. You know, Matthew 6, 24, you, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other or be attentive to one and despise the other. You cannot give yourself to God and money. And I think about that because here I am saying yesterday, this is what I long for for my own life and for the lives of my kids, I'm saying it today, again, with you all, and yet one of the things that constantly drags me back to earth are the mundane, the day-to-day, the basic realities of saying, I can pursue the Lord in my prayer time and going to Mass uh, and praying the rosary, but I still have to pay the bills. I still have to be financially planning. How am I going to pay for Mary Catherine's college? How am I going to pay for the the, uh, the bills this month? How are we going to, and, and how much ought to we be paying attention to, what are we going to do for retirement? Right? We got a we got a lot of kids. <laughs> we got a lot of kids. We got a lot of weddings, seven girls. We've got a lot of education to pay for. We just got bills to pay this month for, you know, well, what are you going to do for medical insurance, right? So uh, what are you going to do for dental insurance and for those costs? And on and on and on it goes. And it's like, Lord, I, I, I'm not wanting to pursue like money as a master, but boy, it would really help. You know, how many of you get tempted a little bit when you go buy those billboards or buy, uh, you know, a little grocery, a little um, gas station, and they have those little signs in the windows that are indicating the uh, amount that is going to be won or the amount that's in the jackpot, right, for Mega Millions or Powerball, and it's over $300 million, and you're like, whoa, hey, couldn't I win that? And, and it would be like, that would solve all my problems, Wow, then I could finally relax and focus on God. And that is such an illusion. It is such an illusion, but we don't believe it. We really just don't believe that. We just think I'll be different than those other people who, whose lives were just, just devastated by winning a large amount of money. Uh, I would be different. I'd be a good steward. I'd give most of it away. And I would whew, be able to relax a little bit. Yeah, but that doesn't take... It does not address the things that really matter. But, oh, but that's not the point today. The point today is that it becomes easy to lay up for ourselves an earthly treasure that moths and rust corrode, that thieves break in and steal. It becomes much more difficult to face the day-to-day anxiety, stresses, and pressures around stuff just stuff we need um, and store up heavenly treasure. How do we do that? 
how do we how do we um, find a solution to that pressing issue of not serving money, not serving wealth as a master? Well, when we come back, we're going to listen to Jesus, who's going to give us the solution in a minute on Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Jesus in the Gospels today is, is going to teach us about ways that we can recognize the fact that we will sometimes be pursuing uh, wealth as a master. And Jesus is saying you cannot serve two masters. You cannot give yourself to God and mammon. Mammon we can think of as money. Uh, it's really wealth, right? And it's like, give yourself to God or wealth. And it's like, don't you wish you could just say, well, it doesn't have to be either or. Well, let's recognize the challenge or the difficulty that is involved in pursuing sufficient wealth to, to do what? Well, to take care of our needs, to get what we really want. Well, do we really want it? How much is enough? Right? So these are all those kind of basic questions that you hear about where if you're pursuing wealth, there's never going to be enough. There's always the next level. There's always the next thing. But it, there's, there's a, a quality of infinity connected with wealth. And so the pursuit of wealth can be something that is um, a great temptation. And one of the biggest temptations that it leads to is what? Is that it distracts and diverts and disperses our attention and our life energy away from God, away from godliness, away from becoming a saint, away from becoming that burning bush. It's like if I said to you, this is an honest question. If you could, uh, in the next month, if you could, if the Lord said to you, I give you two, two paths. Down one path, I will forge you into a burning bush. You will become a radiant witness for me. Or you can win the lottery, $350 million. Which would you choose? It's an honest question. Now, I know some of you are thinking, in, in all honesty, probably some of you are thinking, well, Lord, if I go down that other path, if I go down that path that says I will become a radiant burning bush for our time, I'll become that radiant witness that is radiating your glory into the world that will be a, a vibrant witness for you, and that your kingdom will break into this world through my life, that that's option one. Option two, I will win the lottery, $350 million. Now, I, I know that some of you are going to say, well, I'll choose option two, and then I'll, I'll enter a monastery. Well, no, actually, I'll build three monasteries, and retire and just spend my days becoming that burning bush. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And, and isn't, that the, isn't that the great uh, deception, right? That, that that's, that's actually what we do. We'd be so detached from this money that it wouldn't impact our attitudes, our ways of uh, relating to our own lives, uh, our ways of looking at and relating to other people. We'd only be thinking about the godly purposes that we would have for that money, for that wealth, and um, and or just keep going on living the way we're living and not being impacted by it. And that's just, uh, I, there, there may be one, one in a thousand out there that, that could do that, but for the most part, the, the attraction to that, right? What, what, if, what if you post it the other way? Well, Lord, of course I choose door number one. Lord, make me that saint for our time. Make me that burning witness. Set me on fire like you did St. Philip Neri. I, I'll, I'll go all in for that. And then you start thinking about, well, what's that going to mean for my wealth? Lord, do I, do I get any wealth? Is there any kind of mention of what will happen to me on that side of things? 
Uh, Lord, will I have an easy life? Well, look at the saints who burned so brightly in their time. And you can probably identify certain factors that were part of their lives. Well, they, they manifested Jesus Christ crucified, is what they manifested in their own ways. Often suffering tremendous health problems. Um, very, very great relational challenges. Maybe in their own families. Maybe um, uh, in terms of being misunderstood or maltreated by those who were the closest to them, even in the church. Uh, falsely accused. Um, and then, not to mention all of that, there were the interior sufferings as well. Um, and not a lot of them would experience in their own lifetimes um, what would be considered um, lots and lots of results that they got to enjoy. No, it was a life that looked a lot more like Jesus walking the path of his passion. It looked a lot more like the agony in the garden, the scourging at the pillar, the crowning with thorns, the carrying of the cross, and the crucifixion, ending with an inarticulate cry and then giving up his spirit in the end. And so when we put out that path and say, well, Lord, you're my treasure, and I just cling to you, Jesus, and and what is really the question. And what? And this is really where we come to the uh, this idea of how do I relate to wealth? How do I relate to wealth? And so, um, this is a it's a it's a serious and important point to reflect on. The wealth that is put into our hands is wealth that for which we are stewards, not owners. If we're a steward of wealth, then we don't identify with it. We don't let the wealth that we have or don't have affect our own sense of pride, our own sense of identity, our own sense of um, uh, condescension. Uh, We don't expect to be treated differently. Because wealth is just, it's, a, it's stewardship. Lord, if, if you've given me little, I accept little and work hard and trust that you'll provide. But Lord, if you put a lot into my hands, then Lord, I just want you to know it's yours. You've put it into my hands, but it's yours. Just like my life is yours. Just like my life is yours. I can't give myself to God and money, so what do I do? I give myself to you, God, including my money. That's the answer. You cannot give yourself to God in money because to pursue wealth and to say, I'm the owner of my wealth and I'm going to focus on what I need to do to grow my wealth is to fall so close into that temptation, if not fall into itself, uh, a whole way of what Jesus says, you can't be attentive to one and the other. You you have one attention. What are you going to give your attention to? And I know this because I work with CEOs. I've done it for 20 years. And it is an all-consuming passion. It is a tremendously consuming action to grow a business and to lead a business. It is supremely consuming. It takes so much attention and focus. I don't say all. It takes so much attention and focus that so many other things become sacrificed. So many things become sacrificed in the name of growing the business, in the name of taking care of the business. And and the things that get sacrificed are God, spouse, children. Those are the things that get sacrificed. This isn't just anecdotal. This is, this is my 20 years experience that that's the fundamental battle, that, um, uh, that the pursuit of wealth can provide. And so I, I'll share personally in my own life. So I have worked with these CEOs for over 20 years and senior executives for 20 years, but I've always 
put boundaries around the amount of time that I would give myself to that work. I've always put boundaries around it in order that I would have time for ministry. The primary time, the principal focus, the best energies given to ministry. And for me, that is, if to the extent that I've been able to do that, it has been an incredible sign of God's gifting or blessing to me. It's not an accomplishment of mine. It's a blessing from God. It's what I've asked for. It's what I've prayed for. It's what I've worked for is, Lord, please, I will pursue you. You please take care of me and my family. Please preserve me from my own pursuit of wealth that would draw me away from the pursuit of you. Now, isn't that the battle? Isn't that the battle? Think about Peter, the great call of Peter in Luke chapter 5. It's the call of Simon, right? Simon Peter. And, And you remember the call of Simon Peter. Right, Rick, where was Matthew called? Matthew was called right right from his own work, right? Right at the tax collector's table, and he got up and he left. Um, what about Peter, James, and John? Simon, Peter, James, and John. What were they? Well, they were fishermen, right? But where was Simon exactly and specifically? He was at the shore cleaning his nets, right? And you remember the story. The story goes that they were cleaning their nets. They had been fishing already up super early in the morning and they were fishing and they caught nothing and now they were cleaning their nets so that the nets would actually be useful to them um, if they were to go fishing the next day. There wouldn't be stuff in the nets that would make the fish stay away, see the nets and avoid it. And so Jesus says, Jesus goes and gets in his boat and says, go away from shore and he preaches from the boat. I love that. If I could encourage you to do this. I want you to think about your life and your work as relating to that moment in the life of Simon Peter. It was right there in the boat, in in his place of work, in what he owned. He owned this boat. This boat was his job. It was his business. And right in his business, Jesus was welcomed. Jesus was obeyed. And it was right in his boat that Jesus preached. And so it's possible. It's possible that we can recognize that Jesus is drawing close to us, maybe to you today. You're on your way to work. Invite him in. Maybe this is the invitation. I don't know what kind of work you're doing. I don't know where you're going to work. I don't know when you're, if you're listening to this on a podcast. Just to say, Jesus, I invite you, please, I take this as a little prompting that you are entering the boat of my profession, the boat of my work. And and those of you that are at home, working from home, or a homemaker, uh, maybe you're homeschooling, invite Jesus into that boat right there. Jesus, you're welcome here. And Jesus, not only do I give you permission, but I ask and I seek and I knock that you would please, 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 Speak, sit down the way you did in the boat and speak through my work. Speak through my work to the people that you can reach through my work. Please, please do that. I Cleanse me, mold me, shape me, use me, Lord. Use my work, use my the times that I have to be with people, to talk with people, to serve people, or just the work that I do, the way that I do it. Please, even there, can I be the burning bush? Can I be the burning bush even in the workplace? Just so come and enter my boat, please. And you start praying that way. You pray that way every day. Stuff's going to start happening. I am telling you, stuff is going to start happening. And one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to start relating to your work differently. It's not going to be, I go to work and I leave behind my family and I leave behind my faith in God. 
or God just is providing sort of a moral code for wanting to be kind or nice and wanting to uphold sort of integrity at work. No, 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 no. It's going to be a lot more than that. You are going to see and recognize opportunities where the Lord is prompting you to say, remember when you said you give me permission to speak through your life at work? Now, right now, go talk to that person. Say something here. Speak up about this. Go do that kind act. Go do that generous act. Go take on that other act. Jesus is going to speak through your work. That's going to be so cool when that happens. That's going to be really, really cool because it's going to start making your your life more whole. There's going to be more of a holism, a holistic way of living your life. And so it won't be, well, I go to work and I just do work stuff and then I'm, I'm doing that just so that I can take care of my family financially, provide for them, and now I'm going to get home and I'm going to start living my life and, and let me come back around to that whole idea of being a witness again and somehow God is in my life. No, 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 no. No, it'll, it'll become one whole thing. And so when I talk about the fact that I have strived to be a steward of my whole life by saying, Lord, I'll do this other work, coaching CEOs and senior executives, and using some of my time of my week, my professional life to do that so that I can provide for my family, but also to do ministry work as my central work. It's not about separating those two parts of my life. It's about being able to specifically, explicitly talk about Jesus like I'm doing right now. Back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you. So what I just said there, at the, just towards the very end of the break, is it will get clearer when I go through the Luke 5 story. You can't serve both God and money. So Jesus is creating this as a, do you realize that you're drawn towards one or the other? And I'm proposing that the Lord's call to us is to say, you know, you don't love one, um, you cannot give yourself to God and money. So what do you do? You give yourself to God, including your money. And so that means that the money that is in your hands, you're a steward of, it belongs to God, okay? So how do we actually live that out? How do we live that out? So part of it is you have to invite God into those parts of your lives that are connected to making a money, that is your work. And so doing that, doing that now, doing that as a daily practice will open up opportunities for you to realize that a good example, kind words, uh, God will use who you are as his child to begin to shine forth a bit of that radiance, that burning bush radiance. And and yet at the same time, and that's Jesus saying, I'm going to speak through your life in the boat. right? I've come into the to your workplace, into the things that you own, that you're using for your business. I'm going to come right into the middle of that. But then he says, go into the deep. He says to Peter, go out into the deep, but not just go out into the deep. He says, go out into the deep and lower your nets for a catch. Now, Peter, Simon at this point, he hesitates. Why does he hesitate? Well, he says, Lord, we've been hard at it all day, but at your word, I'll do it. And so he shows that he's willing to do something to obey. And you might think, well, what's it's a it, it's kind of a big deal, right? He was willing to like after working a full day, go back out and try again. He must have been tired and realizes that if he throws the nets out again, well, they're probably going to get dirty again and it's going to mean more work. So, yeah, there's a bit of sacrifice involved, but it's more than that. And and the more than that is this is if you've ever gone fishing uh, on in a lake, when's the best time to go fishing, right? They'll say, well, probably the ideal time, the best time is really, really, really early in the morning, right? Really before the sun comes up and, and the fish kind of disappear. No, you, you go out early in the morning. And the way that the fishermen fished was they went out early in the morning and then they would throw their nets. Um, and there were two different ways of, of fishing, um, and I won't get into the whole de- all of the details here, but they'd throw their nets in, and then they would have to scoop up and then pull the nets back to the boat. Um, but they would do this near the shore because that's where the fish were. So now here they are later in the day when the fish are not eating, 
And Jesus says, go out into the deep where the, f- the fish aren't there. So here's Peter, Simon, the fisherman. He, this is his business. And Jesus not only asks him to extend himself in generosity, to take an, act, to take an action that is going to mean a lot of extra hard work, but from the standpoint of his human wisdom, from all of his human experience, it makes no sense. So what Jesus is asking of him doesn't make any sense from a professional expertise standpoint, and he's tired and he is going to really be generous and extend himself to do this. But he will obey the word of Jesus. And you remember the story. There's a catch of fish that comes up that is, what's the word? Glorious. It's astonishing. It is overwhelming. Remember that idea of God's presence? God's presence coming and breaking in, breaking open one's life, and all of a sudden you realize that God is God, not just a concept that you accepted that provides a moral code and some uh, established beliefs and, and ritual practices. No, religious adherence. No, no. God shows himself as the living God that is going to overwhelm you and your life. And that's exactly what happens to Simon. The catch of fish strains the net to its breaking point and fills two boats, not just one boat, fills two boats. Something that he has never experienced before, way beyond anything he ever. And where does that happen? It happens right in the middle of his livelihood, right in the midst of his livelihood, in the middle of his work. So the miracle that converted Peter, Simon, the, the, the encounter with Jesus that changed Simon's life did not happen in a temple, did not happen in a synagogue, did not happen when Jesus was preaching. It happened at work. Think about that. Think about the fact that where Simon got converted, where God broke in and said, I'm God. You cannot avoid this astonishing reality. It happened at work. And it happened in a way that was completely paradoxical. It turned on its head the expectations of Peter, of Simon. And, and And what did it do? It changed everything for him. So upon seeing the catch of fish, what does Simon do? He falls down at the feet of Jesus. And he says, depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. So you can can see what happens. Remember I talked about that holiness has a weightiness to it. Divinity has a weightiness to it that the manifestation of God's glory is majestic. There's something so powerfully pure in what is holy in that it unveils all that is not pure. If you can remember in the book of Revelation, when John turns and sees the risen Lord, the glorified Lord in heaven, he falls down at the feet of Jesus as though dead. It was as if his human life was just drained from him because of the overwhelming quality of divinity. And so it's that that happens here. At work. At work. And what does Peter do? He goes to the shore, collects all the fish, brings them to market, makes a bunch of money, buys some more boats, and invites Jesus to come back next week. No, that is not what happens. (laughs) They get to shore, and it says that he abandoned his nets and the catch of fish, and he followed Jesus. You cannot give yourself to God and money. You cannot give yourself... 
uh, to an earthly treasure and at the same time a heavenly treasure. Wherever your treasure is, there is your heart. And so Peter is showing us the radical contrast that exists in someone's life when someone has encountered the living God. Everything else becomes nothing compared to what St. Paul calls the supreme value of knowing Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want for, for me and for you and for my kids. And that can even happen at work. You can, you can be overwhelmed at the shocking generosity of God. And in this instance, the overwhelming, shocking generosity of God led Simon to give everything away and to follow Jesus entirely. But this is the rub. This is where it's different for so many of us. We, we can even experience this shocking generosity of God who provides for us in our work so incredibly abundantly, but we don't walk away from it. We don't abandon it, but rather we retain it, but retain it as stewards rather than owners. Did you hear that? It's not the prosperity gospel where you welcome Jesus into your work life. Jesus comes and he establishes himself. He speaks through your work life. And then all of a sudden, you're just waiting for it. You're waiting for it. And then it comes. There it is. The shockingly generous catch of fish. And then you're like, thank you, Lord. I expected that. I cling to the promise. You are a God who provides prosperity. And now God becomes you know, the divine lottery ticket winner right? Oh, I won my lottery ticket. The best way for me to get financial freedom is to bring my life to God. Now, all of a sudden, God is being used for our pursuit of wealth. You see, it's just, it can so easily happen. It can so easily happen that that's how we live our lives. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, I want to talk a a little bit, I'm going to talk about a saint that kind of flew in the face of this and more reflections on Jesus's answer to not serving uh, money, but pursuing God. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnes. Great to be with you today. Today I'm reflecting on, um, on ways that we can find in our own lives to um, really welcome God as God in the fullness of what that means, not the fullness, but in, in what that means, as I was explaining it yesterday and today, so much so that our lives become the passionate pursuit of becoming a saint, right? That, um, uh, uh, what's his name? Leon Blois, had that famous phrase, um, there's only one sadness not to be a saint, right? It's to really believe that, to really pursue that. And, you know, when you were around people that are living that, like, People who did what Simon Peter did, they abandoned everything and they followed Jesus with a passion. Isn't it radiant? Isn't it very often just beautifully radiant? And you can sense it in the places where they live, in the places where they pray. Um, When Carrie and I have a chance to go to, uh, there's a Discalced Carmelite Monastery uh, nearby, uh, and it's it's a tiny chapel. and so it's a traditional Latin mass uh, community. Um, but um, going there, you get to hear their voices. They're behind the, 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 they live a cloistered life. So you don't get to see the nuns, the consecrated religious sisters, but um, you get to hear them praying. One time I went into the, this is a tiny chapel, but it's open. And, and I, I was in there, I think it was like during their mid-afternoon prayer in the liturgy of the hours. And it was just angelic just angelic uh, and it's just like just let the presence of God wash over you wash over you so you you think of the consecrated religious of today who through vows of poverty chastity and obedience are, are doing what they're manifesting something of heavenly life while we live our lives here on earth and just how beautiful and powerful that is right they're they're living that little glimpse of the kingdom of heaven 
here on earth. But most of us, that, that's not our call. So most of us have to live a more complicated life, what St. Paul calls a divided life. We live a divided life where I love God directly, personally, intimately, and in my own prayer time. But I also love God by loving my wife and loving my kids that I see every day. And so I'm loving you, Lord, through my wife. And as I love her, I'm also loving you who gave her to me. And I honor the gift that you've given me in Carrie. And so all of, so there's a, you can see how there's a division, not a separation, right? A distinction that I can love God directly and indirectly through my wife, loving her as well. And, and that's what I want for my kids. I want my kids to honor me and love me, but I, I really want them in loving me to come to know and to love their heavenly father. Because in heaven, I'm not their father anymore. I'm their brother and sister. In heaven, Carrie's not my wife anymore. Carrie's my sister in Christ. And so, you know, the, these relationships that are established here, there'll be some enduring of them in heaven, but I, I'm thinking of them more as a celebration um, of praise and thanksgiving for the ways in which God established us in families that involved faith. And we thank God for that uh, and for the opportunity to be reflections of his fatherly care in our kids' lives. And that's a, that's a bit of a change. When I, again, when I first say that out loud or first heard that, I didn't like that. It was kind of like, God, you're intruding too far. You're coming too far into the center of not just my heart, but of all of these relationships. You become the meaning and the purpose of, yes, even these relationships. And so that's a hard thing to allow to be transformed. Well, God becomes my all in all. So where that becomes so hard for us is regarding the, the daily grind, the anxieties, the pressures, and the stresses that are involved with the day-to-day -day stuff. And so uh, I, I got to say, one of the, the gifts of COVID is the stripping back of a lot of complexity. Things became much simpler. Now, things also got really weird, and things are still weird and crazy in some ways, and some people would say we're getting weirder and crazier, but things have been simplified. That It's not as easy to cling to some of the old ways that we related to our own lives even just a year and a half ago or a little bit longer than that. I know that that's true in our lives regarding sports, but in other things as well. And honestly, in one of those things is really around how am I spending my time, right? Spending my time I have got these two poles. I've got the pole to say, God, please give me the grace to work hard and to have the way to provide for my family financially. And yet there's that pole that says, in this moment, there seems to be such a desperate need to living witnesses to faith. And I really want to pray with people. I really want to minister to people. I really want people to be encouraged to pray, supported in prayer, um, have their needs met spiritually in, in, in whatever way that I could be useful to the Lord in that. But Lord, that doesn't pay the bills. So here's the last word. Seek first the kingdom of God. Tom, I warn you, this is Matthew 6, 25, don't worry about your livelihood. Don't worry about what you eat or drink or use for clothing. It's not life more than food. Is not the body more valuable than clothes. Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap. They gather nothing into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more important than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add a moment to his lifespan? As for the clothes, why be concerned? Learn a lesson from the way the wild flowers grow. They don't work. They don't spin. Yet I assure you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was arrayed like one of these. If God can clothe in such splendor the grass of the field, which blooms today and is thrown on the fire tomorrow, will he not uh, provide much more for you, O weak in faith? Stop worrying then over questions like what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear? The unbelievers are always running after these things. Your heavenly Father knows all that you need. Seek first his kingdom, his kingship over you, his way of holiness, 
and all these things will be given you besides. There it is. There's the answer. Seek first his kingship over you, his way of holiness, and all these things will be given you besides. Enough then of worrying about tomorrow. Let tomorrow take care of itself. Today has troubles enough of its own. You know, we've heard it how many times? So many times that it kind of glosses over. Oh yeah, I know what's going to come next. Oh yeah, you're going to mention the grass of the field and the lilies and the flowers and and, and the birds of the air and, and it's going to be trusting. Yeah, but this is truth that is meant to set us free. This is truth that is meant to come alive in our lives. This is truth that is meant to be applied. This is truth that is meant to be lived. This is truth that can can transform, that can cure us of just undue concern, un, unnecessary anxiety, uh, preoccupation and attention being given to these things that that are just overwhelming and can overwhelm our attention to God. And so my encouragement is this. Earlier in the program, I encouraged you to say, I'm not going to serve God, uh, serve money, I'm going to serve God. And so one way to bring the two together is to invite Jesus into the boat of your career, into the boat of your finances, into the boat of where it is wealth is, so that you won't be pursuing wealth, you'll be pursuing the Lord, and the Lord is pursuing you even in the midst of those situations. And then the second is, don't worry. Seek the kingship of the Father over your life. And, and what does that mean? Well, what that means is asking the Lord to come, asking his kingdom to come and break in. It's just even in that simple. Lord, please, I want you to be king of my life. Lord, please, please come in and be king in those parts of my lives where I, I'm, I am overly concerned, where I do get overly worried, where I, I do get preoccupied with things that, that don't honor you. Please, give me the grace to surrender, to, to trust, to give those things over to you. Please, Lord, take care of me. Take care of us. Take care of this. Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you so much. Please help us, Lord, to honor you and serve you as king in our lives. And Lord, for all of those listening who are still struggling to sort of figure this out and know how to make it their own, just tenderly draw close to them. Just give them a sense of your presence that encourages them, that supports them, that relieves a bit of suffering. And, and Lord, just gives them a sense of light, a sense of peace, a sense of your, your incredible care for us that is beyond anything we could imagine. Thank you, Lord, for that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks so much for being with me today. God bless you. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.